last week we began this study of the filling, the fruit, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now she's laughing so hard, she's getting even hotter. Um, and, oh, there you go. It just came on right over the top of you. Um, <laughs> that's what I just said. That scared me. Um, so first of all, number one, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? That was the first thought of last week. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Filled is the word that's missing if you don't have it. Um, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? We know that as Christians that we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He, we want him to use us, we want him to move us, and we want to be filled with him every day of our lives. And so uh, uh, the very first sentence there, it says, every Christian must know the answer to this question because being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a suggestion, it's a command. And so we know that, that being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that God commands us to do. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye what? Filled with the Spirit. It is, a, it is a, a, an imperative thought. Uh, drop down a couple paragraphs where it says in the next verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 31, Paul is six sins that grieve the third person of the Trinity. And then we go on to list those uh, that grieve the, th- uh, the Holy Spirit and how that we should refrain from each of those sins. On the second page there, you'll see Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 32. The Bible says, And be kind. One to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We have that responsibility as Christians to be the type of people that are Christ-like. Right? That is our responsibility, to be Christ-like. And we talk about the sins that quench the spirit. Most of those sins have to do with our attitude towards others. And so we have to be very careful uh, and, and, and we have to understand our place because if we quench the spirit, we're not going to be filled with the spirit. You understand that? So it's our responsibility to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Um, so the word translated filled is a present tense verb which denotes continuous action, something that we must do every day. It's, an, it's a renewal every single day of my life. When I wake up in the morning, I pray that the Lord will fill me with his spirit um, and guide me. Now, we talked about last week that once I accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior, I cannot become any more saved. Once I'm saved, I'm saved. I don't get more saved as I get older. Uh, I'm saved. However, what happens, I begin to uh, uh, enrich my Christian life, at least I should, through discipleship, through uh, coming to church, through reading my Bible, through praying, the process of sanctification. And that process leads me to the filling of the Holy Spirit of God, which is something that I should desire every day of my life. Number two in your outline, we ask the question, uh, we know now we want to be filled with the Spirit and how we're filled with the Spirit. But the second question we asked is, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Um, you know, we want to know how that, uh, uh, the fruit can abound in our lives. What will make us flourish? Uh, there's nothing more pitiful than a dead tree. Right? I mean, you know, when you're driving through the mountains and, uh, 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 you know, they're all green and there's one that's not green. That's the one we tend to pick out. We're like, what happened to that one? You know, it's not, it's not a, a beautiful thing to see, such as a dead Christian, uh, one that's not producing fruit. We need to be fruit producers, uh, fruit of the spirit producers. And so Galatians chapter 5 tells us, but the fruit of the spirit, first of all, is what? It's love. And then it's what? Joy. And then it's peace. 
and then it's long suffering, and then it's gentleness, then it's goodness, and it's faith, it's meekness, and it's temperance. I find something very interesting, and that is this. We looked just a few minutes ago at the sins that quench the Spirit of God, and we talked about that they're all uh, basically uh, our actions toward other people. Well, guess what the fruit of the Spirit is? It's actions towards other people, and uh, it's relational. Uh, There are some things that are personal, but many of them are relational. And so it's important that we have a good relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we're edifying, and that we're encouraging, and that we're strengthening, and that we're loving and caring for them. We talked about that the fruit of the Spirit comes in trios of three, Um, and and how important it is that we remain uh, solid in our attitude and solid in the way that we do things. Halfway through page number three, we find this thought. Jesus is the greatest example of power under control. As he is being arrested to be crucified, he tells his disciples not to fight back. He then informs them that he could ask his father to immediately send more than 12 legions or thousands of angels to rescue them. So the idea of temperance. So here we've answered two questions. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Last week we ended at number three. And so we're just going to pick right up there. Even though we've covered some of it. Just to kind of get us steamrolling in the right direction. As we look at the thought of how can I find and develop my spiritual gifts? How can I find and develop my spiritual gifts? Finding and developing your spiritual gifts is much like the will of God. It is not an Easter egg hunt. God does not hide it from you. God has given all of us uh, spiritual gifts. He's given us gifts to use uh, for his glory and for his power. And uh, we need to find and develop those gifts so that we can be better used by God. So we're right in the top of number three. God doesn't want us to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 1. However, most Christians know very little about spiritual gifts. Uh, The devil wants to keep Christians ignorant so they will not use their spiritual gifts to advance the kingdom of God. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 6, the Bible says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. So we all have gifts that were given to us by the grace of God. God gives us the gift of salvation. It is a free gift that he bestowed upon us more than 2,000 years ago when he went to the cross and died for us. However, God does not force himself on anyone. Everyone has to come to the place where they repent of their sins and accept him as their personal savior. They accept the free gift. Then God bestows upon us the gift of, uh, of, of having, um, having these gifts that he's given to us so that we can in return use them for his glory. Once again though, I want to remind you that God is not going to force you to use your gift. I do believe, and this is not something that we're going to deal with tonight, it's a, for a whole nother matter, but I do believe that if we neglect our gift long enough, it may no longer be usable. You see, when God gives us gifts and gives us abilities, it's important that we use them. 
And it's important that we, we use them for his glory. By the way, God gives people gifts. And unfortunately, some people use them not for his glory. You understand that? And so we have to be very cautious and careful when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Spiritual, spiritual gifts are received by grace. So like salvation, spiritual gifts are not earned or deserved. There are at least 20 spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament. The first step in finding and developing our spiritual gifts is obviously knowing what they are. So what are these spiritual gifts? Seven are listed in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 6 through uh, verse 8. First in the list is the gift of prophecy, referring to the gift of a prophet or preaching God's word. We touched on this last week, not going to spend a lot of time, uh, but there are no new prophecies. When it talks about the idea of being a prophet, it is talking about someone that is preaching the word of God. Because God's given us everything that he needs us to know in his 66 books of the Bible. So what are the three functions of that prophet? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 3 tells us, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to do what? To edify, to exhort, and to comfort. We're to lift them up, we're to put them in the right direction, and we're to help them in times of need. That's exactly what we are to do. Edify, exhort, and comfort. Romans 12, 7 lists two gifts. The first is the gift of ministry, which translate the word from which we get our word deacon. And so there, there's the gift of being a deacon, and uh, which in, other, in, in essence is the gift of being a what? A servant. That's right. Being a servant. Uh, can I tell you that, that the, the office of a pastor, you know what the office of a pastor means is that he serves. Smile like this. No, no, no one, or, or maybe, I, maybe I'll just use myself. I should never be above anything. Right? I, I, I mean, we serve together. We, we, we are in this together. Um, and and it's, a, it's a work in progress. And so that idea of being a deacon is the same thought process. It is the idea of serving and uh, ministering to people. It is the gift of serving others in practical ways is what that word is. Then there's the gift of teaching, which is to proclaim God's word to promote spiritual gifts. Some people have the gift of teaching. They, they enjoy it. They love to study. Um, they love to proclaim and they love to share. That is the gift of teaching. Romans 12, 8 then lists four gifts, beginning with the gift of exhortation or encouragement. I talked to you last week that I thought this was probably one of the most important gifts. Uh, that idea of being the person that exhorts or the person that encourages. It is the God-given ability to encourage or comfort believers. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful gift. And if you have that gift, you should practice it. You should use it. The next gift is he that giveth, and it refers to people with the gift of making money and giving back cheerfully and generously to the Lord. Certainly, uh, there are people that God has blessed, and then in return, they give back to the Lord. By the way, they give back to the Lord cheerfully. There's an important word right there, and they give back generously. And so, uh, if you have the gift uh, of giving, that is a wonderful gift. By the way, you can never outgive God. So, so, the, so the more that you sacrifice and the more that you give, the more that he will bless and the more that he will bless. And the testimonies will reign true of that. He that ruleth is the next gift. It's the gift of leadership. 
It refers to those with the gift of organizing and leading people. So we have the gift of, of, of leadership. Um, now I want to tell you this, that you'll never be a good leader until you're first a good follower. And by the way, you can never be a leader unless you have followers. We call those people all alone. A lot of people want to be leaders, right? But they don't know how to be a leader because they were never once a follower. When I worked in the armored car industry, I started at the very bottom of the, of the totem pole. I was the guy that jumped into the truck, closed the door, and sat in the seat for eight hours. And I just drove from one spot to the next spot to the next spot, sitting there waiting for the guy that's doing all the fun stuff because I'm a people person and I want to be out there with the people. So there I sat. Finally, I went in one day and I said, listen, I can't handle this anymore. You're going to have to get me out of jail because I'm stuck in this truck all day long. And they said, okay, well, we'll train you how to do that. And I said, okay. Next day I showed up for work and my partner called in. They said, there you go, have fun. Well, that was exciting. And uh, I started on the bottom, and I worked my way up, and eventually God allowed me to run up my own branch and become a branch manager. But there's one thing that I believe did me well throughout the whole process, and that's this. I started here. See, if I'd have started here, it would have probably been a little different in the way that I treated people, the way that I, 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 I treated the company and the business. But because I started here, I had a new respect for what this meant. And can I tell you, that's exactly when God decides and, and, and puts it on your heart to be a leader. Don't try to jump the ranks. Start so that you know what it's like to be a follower and be a good follower. And then God, the Bible says that, that if you are faithful over a few things, he will make you a, what's the next word? Ruler over many. You know what that word ruler means? It means leader. I'll make you a leader. The last gift in the verse is the uh, gift of showing mercy. Uh, showing mercy. Now, there, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, this is a special gift because I don't know many people that have it. All right? That gift of mercy. You say, Pastor, everybody has the gift of mercy. No, no, no. You don't understand. A gift of mercy is those that have compassion for hurting people. You say, Pastor, we all have compassion for hurting people. Yes, but they have, they have compassion that never ends for hurting people. You know, we have passion for hurting people one or two times. People that have the gift of mercy have passion for hurting people all the time. When that same person keeps coming back, and trying to draw from the well, they don't push them away. They have that lasting mercy. Let me tell you the greatest example of that is Jesus. Because every day I sin against him. Every day that I, I do things uh, uh, wrong. And yet every single day he forgives me. Every single day he continues to bless me and give to me. That's the gift of mercy. And that's a very special gift, I believe. Having compassion for hurting people. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 10 says, As every man hath received the gift. Here it is. Even so, what's the next word? Minister. This is a very important verse. As every man hath received the gift. So we find out what our gift is. Even so, minister. I really want you to see this. The same. What does it say? One 
one to another. Let me tell you how this works. Miss Jane, I'm going to pick on her because she was laughing over here a few minutes ago. Uh, Miss Jane has a gift. And she has a gift that I don't have. Because that's the way God works. He gave her a gift that I don't have. My job is, is the gift that I have that she doesn't have is to help her with my gift. And the gift that she has that I don't have, she helps me with my gift. You see it? So whatever our weaknesses are, there are people around us to give us their strengths. And so then we're working together. Do you see it? Even so minister the same one to another. Oh, oh, wait a minute. The verse didn't stop there. There's a comma. As, what's the next word? Good, what's the next word? Oh, we always think about money when we talk about stewards, don't we? No, God says that we are to be good stewards not only of our finances, but of our gifts. As good stewards of the manifold uh, grace of God, we are to, to, uh, uh, to share our gifts. We are, we are to use our gifts one, or the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, there are eight other gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, beginning with the gift of speaking wisdom which is the ability to apply biblical truth. So there are some that we call, in my world, we call those scholars that, that have speaking wisdom, the ability to, to apply biblical truth. They, they study portions of the word of God and, and they study them for years. And then they come out and they speak with wisdom or they write with wisdom in a book, sharing and applying biblical truth. Then there's those that have the gift of knowledge, and this the ability to explain deep truths in the Bible. Yeah, that's good, right? The knowledge to, to explain deep truths in the Bible. To take something that's difficult to understand and put it on a level where I can understand it. And, and so that's the knowledge, that's the gift of knowledge, all right? Good. In verse 9, oh, this is a good one. The gift of faith is listed first. Uh, this gift is the supernatural ability to trust and believe God. Every believer has faith, but some have more faith than others. Have you ever met somebody that you thought to yourself, boy, I wish I had their faith? Ever met somebody like that? You know, those people that, that, that literally step out by faith and you go... But there's nothing underneath them. Uh, how are they going to hold on? How are they going to hang on? They're, they're doing something that's unbelievable. How in the world could they do that? You know, I think about missionaries. Uh, I think about Joey Kellett. I'm going to have the privilege here in a couple months to go to North Carolina to, to his commissioning service and be there. And uh, Mr. Kellett has two uh, children, little, little children, him and his wife. And they're going to get on an airplane and they're going to go to Thailand. Right? I don't know about you. That's faith. Okay? I'm just telling you. I, I mean, you say, oh, pastor, but, you know, that's what he's called to do. I understand that. There are a lot of people called to do things that they don't do. As a matter of fact, there's probably some of us in this room that are called to do things that we don't do. Right? 
And God told, told Joey, hey, Joey, I, 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 I'm beckoning you. I'm burdening you to go to Thailand. And, and probably, I'm, I don't know. I don't know Joey that well. But probably in the back of his mind, he's thinking, Lord, I, I just had two little babies. I remember talking to him about that when he was here. And that's what he said to me. He said, Pastor, because I have kids. I, I, I was just talking flesh with him a little bit, you know. You can forgive me later. Um, I was just trying to be real with him. And I said, how do you feel about taking your children over there? I'll never forget what he said. He said, Pastor, don't you think that God can protect my children as much over there as he can here? All right, it's time for me to pray. Let's pray right now. We're going to bow our heads right here. And, uh, but you know what? You know what that is? That's faith. Now, don't you think for a moment that, that any missionary that's across the sea or is headed across the sea doesn't have a little something in the back of their mind, right? Are we, are we with each other? There's people in this room that have decided to go to Cape Verde with me. You've been watching the news. You've been looking at what's going on over there. And you've got something in the back of your mind that says, I don't know. Can I tell you something? That same thought that you're having, you're doing it for five, seven days. They're doing it for the rest of their lives. What's the difference? Faith overtakes. It's the gift of faith. I tell you what, if, if more Christians would have the, um, the faith, the Bible says that uh, the faith the size of a grain of, mustard, of a mustard seed will move mountains, right? That's the faith. So, the gift of faith. The gift of healing and miracles um, is the next one. This was given to the apostles to authenticate them as messengers of God. During his third missionary journey at Ephesus, um, handkerchiefs or aprons that touched Paul were used to heal the sick. We find that in Acts chapter 19 and verse number 12. The gift of healing and the gift of miracles. Uh, this is one of those that some people believe that we still have that ability today. We need to talk about that for a minute or so here. But I want to go to the next thought here first. However, as the New Testament neared completion, Paul had actually lost that, lost that gift. Paul had the gift of healing. We talked about the aprons or the handkerchiefs that touched him were used to heal people. And, and what God was doing is, if you remember the story... Um, Paul's name wasn't always Paul, was it? What was his name? Saul, right? And, and what did he do when he was Saul? Persecuted Christians. He, uh, let, me, let me take this a step further. You, you should, you should uh, uh, study the life of Paul uh, outside of the word of God and learn about what dramatic things that he did as Saul. I mean, it would blow your mind, the things that he did, okay? He was, a, he was a murderer. He was a persecutor of Christians. Do you understand that? When you see things on television that talk about Christians are being persecuted and killed, that's what Saul was. That's who he was in a, in, in a bad fashion, okay? What happened to him? What happened to Saul? There you go. He was on the road, and the Shekinah glory came down. And the Bible says literally scales came over his eyes. And Saul knew immediately who it was, right? And God changed his name to what? Paul. Did God change the people that Paul knew? 
No. So when Paul, which all of them knew them as Saul, came into town, what did the Christians think he would do? Kill them. I can hear the rumors now. Somebody said Paul got saved. Somebody said that Paul gave his life to God. I don't believe him. I think it's a hoax. I think he's just trying to find more of us, right? I imagine that they're still in the hiding. So God needed to authenticate Paul. So what did he do? He gave him a gift. He gave him the gift of healing. However, near the completion of the New Testament, Paul actually lost that gift. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 20. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum. What's the next word? Sick. If he still had the ability to heal, he would have healed him. But he didn't have the ability anymore because he had already been authenticated. Today, God's messengers are not verified by healing and miracles, but by testing their lives and teaching by the word of God. Now... Uh, let me talk to you about this for a moment. And I'm going to be careful how I say this, but I'm going to say it in a loving fashion, all right? Smacking somebody on the head is not going to heal them. Okay? I'm just telling you, all right? But I'm going to go outside of that for a moment. The Bible tells us if there are any sick among you to do what? To call the elders of the church... To lay hands on them and to do what? Anoint them in oil. Anoint them in oil, right? Okay. Can I ask you a question? Maybe I should go to the oil people in here. (laughs) Castor oil, whatever it takes. No. Um, Now now listen, and, and I mean this in a spiritual sense, okay? The oil that we place on people when we pray over them, does not heal them. Do you understand that? When someone comes and requests for oil and for prayer and hands to be laid on them, this is what they're saying. They're saying, first of all, I believe that God has the power to heal me. That's what they're saying. They're not saying, I believe that the preacher... The deacons, their wives, or anybody else in the church has supernatural power to make this go away. They're not saying that. The second thing they're saying is that we are going to succumb and, 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 and take our pride away. And we are going to follow the biblical way of seeking healing by God, which is to come. If any are sick among you, come to the elders of the church, lay hands, anoint in oil. That's what the Bible says. And then thirdly of all... Here's what we got to understand. It is now our responsibility as a church. If we're going to anoint somebody with oil and lay hands on them, it's not a one-time prayer service. It is saying, hey, we we are going to pray for you every day. And then, here's the last thing you need to know. There are two types of healing. There is temporal healing and there is eternal healing. Because if somebody comes and we lay hands on them and pray over them and we pray for them for months and months and months and God heals them, we rejoice and we shout and we praise the Lord. But I want to remind you, it's temporary healing. Because eventually, if I do not, uh, if the Lord does not take me through that situation, eventually, if I live long enough, God's going to take me home. 
Here's what we got to understand. This prayer, when we lay hands on them, is going to be answered. It's either going to be answered temporarily or it's going to be answered eternally. Because if God decides to take that person home to be with him, I don't know about you, but that's eternal healing. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We, we do not have that gift of healing and miracles. We have the gift of faith and prayer. That's what we have. And then what we have to do, which is very important, is that we have to pray not in our will, but in God's will. And where is that example? Jesus. Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. And that's exactly what we have to do. Please, I know some of you in this room right now, you have faced some, in the two plus years that I've been here, we have, you have cried on my shoulder, we have cried together, we, we have lost dear people to us and dear lives. Don't think for a moment that God did not hear your prayer. And don't think for a moment that God didn't answer it. Because he did. If we decide that we are going to try to lay hold on the fact that there are healers in our world, we are laying hold on false doctrine. It doesn't matter what the TV shows, okay? There's only one person that can heal, and that's God. All right, good. Let's move on. The next is the gift of discerning of spirits, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 10. It's the God-given ability to discern between the things of God and the things of the enemy. Persons with this gift can immediately identify false doctrine by which many others are led astray. It's a discerning spirit. It's a discerning spirit. Um, this, is, this is my wife's great gift right here. My wife is a discerner. My wife, and I don't know how she does it, other than God, she can tell me, Lee, this is not going to turn out well. I'm telling you right now, she can. She'll walk into a room, and I'll, we'll be talking about something. She'll go, Lee, I'm just telling you, it's not going to turn out well. Give it a couple weeks, and she'll come back to me and say, told you I was right. It's discernment. Yeah, yeah, discernment and I told you so go together, that's right. Uh, but a discerning spirit now, I'll be honest with you, I don't always have a discerning spirit. Because the way I look at things is everybody is good. All is well in the world. You know, I have the philosophy until you've given me a reason not to, right? Um, she, she has more of a discerning spirit. You're going to go tell on me, and that's okay. Um, but that's who she is, and I thank God for that. By the way, that's what I needed as a pastor. There's many times, and I'll, I'll just tell you right out, that... that uh, you know, I, I'll go to her and I'll say, hey, honey, uh, it's time for you to give me some advice. I do. Now, don't let that shock you. I know, I need to sit down too. All right. Um, no, uh, don't let that shock you. Because, see, we are one, right? God put us together as one for a reason. And we complement one another. And uh, so it's important that, that, that if you have that discerning spirit... That, that you realize it and that you use it 
for the good and for being a good discerner. Now, a discerner has to also be someone who is confidential. That's very important. A discerning spirit is a confidential spirit. It is not... Got to use the right adjective. Um, it, it is not a rumored spirit. There's a good word. It's, a sharing, there you go, that's a better word. It's not a sharing spirit, that's right. It's a confidential spirit, it's important. Because the people that can discern are normally people that can give good advice. And, that, and if you're going to give good advice, you have to be able to take what you're hearing and be confidential with it. Verse 12, or chapter 12, verse number 10. Here's the one that everyone struggles with. The gift of tongues refers to the ability. This is important that you know the Greek word. That's the word on the screen right there. Glossa is the word. Glossa. It refers to the ability to speak in a language one has not. What's the next word? Learned. We're going to talk about this in length, and I was really hoping this wouldn't take a third week, but it may. Um, Acts chapter number two. We don't have time to read it tonight. It may, I may send you home to read it this coming week. Um, Acts chapter number two. It's important that we understand what the gift of tongues is. There are churches today that still practice and believe in the gift of tongues. There may be some in this room who are unsure about the gift of tongues. It's important that uh, when you define scripture, that you ensure that you know every, pat or every portion of the scripture to be able to interpret it. Um, you know, we have a tendency, uh, uh, whenever we, we are reading the word of God, we have a tendency to go pick one verse and say, well, that's a good one right there. I think I'll hold on to that one. But we forget about the context of it. And context is very important. Context is, is absolutely important. It's kind of like my Samuel coming up to me and saying, Matt and I just punched me. Okay. Now that's probably a true statement. But there's context, right? I'm certain that Matt and I just didn't walk up to him and hit him. Now he may have. But I'm not certain of that. Miss Michelle goes, well, you're not in the nursery, are you? Uh, I, I'm not certain of that. But there's probably some context. So I'll say to Samuel, what did you do? I didn't do nothing, Dad. I didn't do nothing. Nothing? You didn't do anything? No, sir. No, Dad. I didn't do anything. And then here comes Matt and I. He's already crying before he gets there. And he's not even one that got hurt, you know. He's coming in. Samuel pushed me. Samuel, did you push him? Barely. <laughs> Context, right? Do you see it? If I went with the first initial, he punched me, then there would only have been a one-sided punishment, right? But when we get the whole context of the story, then we're able to encourage and exhort Right? Encourage and exhort so that those type of behaviors will cease to exist. All right? Um, we call that a spanking in my house. Um, anyways, um, it, and it is, it is what it is. And so you have to know the context, such as it is in the Word of God. 
When we read the word of God, we have to read it in its entirety. I didn't put Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. I put Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 so that we can get context for it. Now, this is interesting, and you may think this is interesting, except that word's supposed to say modern, not modem. Uh, Many missionaries demonstrate the modern gift with an ability to learn a new language with amazing speed. The interpretation of tongues, chapter 12 and verse number 10. In order to speak in tongues, there, there are a list of um, requirements if, if there is going to be speaking in tongues happening. One of those requirements is that there must be an interpreter. It's, it's just, I mean, it's right there in, in the verses. You can go and read them. Um, and so many missionaries demonstrate this gift with the ability to learn a new language with amazing speed. I, I just can't imagine uh, uh, leaving my home country, going to another country, and trying to learn these languages. But I'm going to tell you what I was amazed at. I watched the Olympics, and all of the people from other countries could speak what? I never saw a medal winner that was interviewed from another country that couldn't speak English. They didn't have an interpreter. I found that fascinating. I'm sorry, that's just me. Um, but the, the interpretation of tongues is to the ability to explain and amplify what a tongues speaker says. When I was in high school, uh, we had two options. We could have either taken Spanish or we could have taken American Sign Language. I did not want to speak in tongues, so I spoke in hands. I took sign language. And... Uh, I actually very much enjoyed it, and, uh, and as I progressed through my high school year, our years, I became an interpreter at the Florida School of the Deaf and Blind, and then when I left there and I went to Tennessee, which is where I met my wife, I interpreted a church services, and I went and worked for the Tennessee School of the Deaf and Blind, and uh, it, was, it was so rewarding because you're taking a message and you're, you're, you're giving it to someone that otherwise could not receive the message. Right? Because I'm going to tell you what's really fun. Is when you go to a state school like the Florida School of the Deaf and Blind or the Tennessee School of the Deaf and Blind. They don't have people running there to work and volunteer. They don't. As a matter of fact... Uh, they're so overcrowded uh, and, and with not enough teachers or, or helpers that, that it's very difficult. It's a very difficult environment. So when I showed up on the campus, um, they said, I said, I'm going to, I was just as a volunteer. I said, I'm a volunteer. I was like eight, uh, 17, 18 years old. And uh, they said, great, we're going to give you a bunch of junior high kids. And I said, okay, that's great. What they didn't tell me was there was going to be 42 of them. Yeah, that made me grow up. But I got them into a room, and my job was to help them with their schoolwork. And so I would go around, and and I would help them with the things that they do. And one day I was sitting there, and I thought, well, they're all done with their schoolwork. I got an idea. Why don't I tell them a story? So I got them all together, and I said, hey, can I tell you a story? They were like, yeah, tell me a story. Of course, in sign language. It was like, (laughs) I'm not making fun of them. That's what they do. Okay. Um, So I start telling them a story. There was a man. He was born in a manger. You know what a manger is? A couple of them said this and that. I said, he was the most amazing man that ever walked the face of this earth. 
I said, he grew up just like you growing up. And I said, he lived to be 33 and a half years. And would you believe that somebody killed him? I said, do you know what they did to him? The man healed people. He helped. Do you know what he did? He healed deaf people. You know what else he did? He healed blind people. Do, do you have any friends that are blind? Oh, yeah, yeah, we have friends that are blind. He healed those deaf people and those blind people. And, and matter of fact, he even healed people that couldn't walk. And now I've got them. I mean, it's like, there's, I mean, they're on me. We want to know who this guy is. I said, and can you believe after 33 and a half years, they killed him? They put him on a cross and they nailed him to that cross and his feet and his hands. And they, they put him on that and, and they, they killed him. And I just stopped right there. This little girl sitting in the back. She said, why did they kill him? Tell us. I said, well, actually, he knew he was going to die. You know why he knew he was going to die? Because he knew that you would be sitting right here. I said, you know what his name is? His name is Jesus. I said, how many of you have ever heard that name before? Four people. I signed the sign for Jesus to those kids, and I got this weird look. So I spelled his name. I said, but let me tell you something that's really, really amazing. Is he died, and they buried him. But three days later, he rose again. I said, can I tell you something? He's alive right now. And I said, he's alive because he loves you. 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 Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This was one of those things that the Lord just said, do it. I didn't have my Bible. I didn't have anything with me. I had to go off of memory. And I began to share the gospel with them. Can I tell you something that happened? We were in that room. I bet I was in that room with them for, from the time we started doing homework to everything else. I bet I was in that room with them for three, four hours. You know, not one person walked in that room. There was nobody checking on me. You know why? It's overcrowded. I realized something that day. Hmm, I can do whatever I want. I can tell them whatever I want to tell them. So I started telling them about Jesus. We got done. I said, you know, and, and I know this may sound funny, but it's really not. That they can't bow their heads and close their eyes. They got to be able to see what's going on. So I said, we're going to pray. I said, anybody know what you mean to pray? A few of them said, yeah, I don't know what it means to pray. I said, we're going to pray. And I said, let me tell you what you can do. I said, there's a thing called the sinner's prayer, and I explained to them already that we're all sinners. We prayed that day. 
When we got all done, I signed to them and I said, how many of you prayed that prayer and asked the Lord to come into your heart? 26 of them raised their hand. And at 17 years old, or 18 years old, I can't remember exactly how old I was, I realized something. The state and the country and everyone else is trying to tie the hands of the gospel. But Jesus will always give us an opportunity to free those hands. I had the privilege of many weeks going and that same group of people coming. There was a few of them that decided that they didn't want to have anything to do with it and that's totally understandable. But we studied, we learned our math and our English and as much as I could help them. And we talked about the Lord. I had the privilege of this very gift right here to those people. I knew what I was saying. They knew what I was saying. But if I began right now to do it in this room, which I've become very rusty at it, but if I began to do that in this room, most of you in this room would have no idea what I was saying unless I opened my mouth, right? That's what the gift of tongues is. It's the ability to speak a language that can be interpreted to people for the purpose of the gospel. That's what it is. This whole idea of speaking in a foreign tongue or in a gibberish manner, proclaiming it to be from God is unbiblical. Because in order to speak in tongues, there has to be an interpreter. There has to be. This this gift was a gift that was... In Bible times. But there was a cessation of tongues. Which means that tongues ceased to exist. In the manner that it was in the New Testament. And unfortunately it is 756. So I'm not going to get to it. When we come back next week. Page number 8 in the very back is where we will start where we will talk about what the gift of tongues is and what the cessation of tongues is and how it applies to us as Christians. Well, I had fun tonight. I don't know about you. Um, You know, let me just say this and I'll be done. You have, if you're saved here, you have the most powerful spiritual being That lives inside of you. There are no boundaries. To being filled with the spirit. The boundary is our flesh. If we are willing to take the step. If we're willing to make the sacrifice. If we're willing to do what God is is coercing us. And begging us. and, And encouraging us to do. There is nothing that we can't do. And the reason that I know that is because the most powerful spiritual being lives inside of me. 
Now let me say this one last thing. I have responsibility to the greatest spiritual being that lives inside of me. I do. He gave everything for me. And I need to be willing to listen and obey and to do what he's called us to do. What is that, Pastor? Well, I just shared it with you a few moments ago. To be the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus. To be the hands and the feet and the instrument and the mouth that God wants to use. So what do we got to do? We went through several of the gifts tonight. We still have a couple more to go through. But we went through several of them. It's finding our gift, developing our gift, and using our gift for the glory of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to learn more about you. Lord, thank you that we have the ability to, uh, to know and apply the word of God. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us as we teach it, encourage it, Lord, that it'll be clear. And Lord, that uh, in all things that you would be honored and glorified. Thank you for everyone that's here tonight. Lord, again, we pray for our prayer requests. And Lord, I pray that you will bless each one of them. Lord, we love you. But most of all, we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your night and week. By the way, Sunday is Back to Church Sunday. It's going to be a great day. There is no Sunday school on Sunday. Church is at 1030. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day.